For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from John chapter 14, reading from verses 8 to 14 on page 1082 of the Church Bible. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I don't know about you, but uh, the Bible, and especially Paul's letters, pose a problem to an Irishman. Paul was too intelligent, you see. So I struggle with what he says sometimes. But you've heard the story of the Irishman who came to England, I'm sure, and he was a road painter. So he gets a job uh, with an English firm, and he gets his tin of paint, and he gets his brush, and he starts painting the lines down the middle of the road. You know, those lines, those white lines that you all see when you drive. And the first day, he does six miles of paint, and brilliant. Second day, he does four miles. Third day, he does two miles. And his English boss is getting a bit, hey, what's all this about? The productivity's slackening off here. So he goes and speaks to him, and he says, hey, what's the problem here in the... The Irishman looks up and says, I've been thinking the same, but it's just that tin of paint keeps getting further away every day. <laughs> I want you to remember that tin of paint. I want you to remember that tin of paint. 
because Paul talks about it in a different way. Okay. So, before I start, just to unpack a little bit about Colossians, a few little things you need to bear in mind. The first thing is, this is a letter. You probably know that, most of you, but it's a letter. And Paul was writing it to a group of, they mightn't have called themselves Christians, but it was a church, people who loved and followed Jesus Christ. They were not people who didn't believe. Third thing is, Paul had actually probably never been to this church that he wrote the letter to. Uh, If you look at chapter 2, verse 1 of this letter, he talks about those who don't know me personally. And most people think Paul never visited this church. But a couple of things come out. Paul's passion. He loves these people. He loves them. And he's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. That encourages him. And he thanks God for that. But Paul also knew, you see, from friends, there was a problem in this church. There was beginning to be some teaching that was taking their eyes away from Jesus Christ. Jesus was, for some of them, no longer the center. There were some strange teachings coming in that there was something more. You could be closer to God, not just because of Jesus, but if you had special visions, special knowledge. And Paul wanted to bring the people who he wrote this letter to back to the truth back to the truth of the gospel. And and for an Irishman or for anybody, that's a very simple truth. God loves each one of us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to take my place and yours on a cross because we were separated from him by our sins. If we believe in him, we will be reconciled to God and can have a relationship through Christ. Because, of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. That's the gospel. There's nothing secret. There's nothing more. That's it. And Paul wanted these people to believe that. He had met the risen Christ. That changed his life. And Paul wanted people to know the risen Christ because he believed that would change. In fact, he knew that would change their lives. So, hey, that's the first challenge as I prepared this to myself and to you if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Has Jesus changed you? Has he changed you? Because that's what Paul's prayer in verses 9 to 12 is about. He starts off, and you've already heard, if you've been here in the last few weeks, about Paul praying that people would know more about God. They'd grow in their knowledge and wisdom. That they would have the hope. That they would know the love. And this sermon that I'm preaching is supposed to be about good works. And I will get to those. But, but he repeats some of those things in this prayer as well. About knowledge and wisdom. 
And bear in mind the context that these people, there was this strange teaching, and the knowledge and wisdom of God is very straight. He tells it in his letter to his friend and the person he was mentoring, Timothy. He said, you know, hey, here's, here's what you need to grasp. God's will. God's will is very simple. He wills that no one should perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody not to know that he loves them and that he cares for them. That's God's knowledge. That's it. There is nothing secret about it. And he wanted the people to grasp that, that he loves you. Let his knowledge soak into you that he loves you, because that's going to change you. And yes, you will grow in wisdom. You will grow in spiritual understanding. You will go stronger in your faith, and God will change you as a result. And, and that's what he goes on to say, you see, in these verses. For this reason, since the day, the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. For God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And why does he want them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and have spiritual wisdom and understanding? He goes on to say, we want you to have this, we pray this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's what God wants. Hey, it's like a child when they do a little drawing for their mom or dad. It mightn't be a very good drawing, you know, but they want to please their mom and dad because they know their mom and dad love them. <laughs> and they want to do what pleases them. Or a man or a woman who falls in love and wants to please the person they love. They want to do what pleases them. And that's the way we should be. I want to make it very clear, because I'm now going to talk about works, because he goes on to say, the first thing, you may please him in every way. The first thing that will please him is that we bear fruit in every good work. Bear fruit in every good work. Okay. But I want to make it very clear that good works don't get us right with God. They flow out of us being right with God. And that's because of what God has done for us. We can't do anything for him. If you read Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this uh, in chapter 2, by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a free gift. That's who saves God through Christ, not what we do. But if we are saved, if we love God, that will evidence in our lives. There's a whole book of the Bible which is very heavily devoted to that. It's uh, the book of James, which is in the New Testament. Uh, it can be summed up, and I'm going to read a little passage about 
faith in action from the message version, it says this, friends, do you think you'll get anywhere if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend who's dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious? God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. He says it another way earlier on. Faith without works is dead. They go hand in hand. God loves us. We love God. We become reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ, and that should evidence in what we do. But as you look at what Paul says, bearing fruit in every good works, uh, and even for an Irishman, you've got to think, well, what, what does he mean by that? Paul didn't just mean what we might think of as good works, you know, giving to the poor, helping old ladies across the street. If you are an old lady, forgive me, being helped across the street, that's a good work too, being gracious. Okay. But it's more than that. Paul said this in the present tense. Paul means nothing less than every waking moment of our lives. We should be producing a good work in everything we do. He says it a little bit differently two chapters on in this letter because he says this he says when I find it <laughs> he says whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men or women whatever you do whatever you do and again, I'm going to read a passage from the message uh, when Paul talked to the Romans. And, and this is so, so challenging, I think, uh, because it goes to the heart of what living as a Christian is. And he says this, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. That's living and the beginnings of producing fruit in your good works. It's your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. It's every moment of every day, living it out for the glory of God. I can't do that. And I'd probably stake my life on that every single person in this room can't do that either. 
God knows that. And later on in this prayer, just a few verses on, in Colossians, he said, he wants us to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul knows we haven't the chance of doing that unless we love Jesus and we let Jesus live in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we can begin to produce fruit in our ordinary, everyday, sleeping, waking, working, walking around lives. Whatever that may be, that's good works. That's what Paul means by good works. Now, of course, there are other things in Scripture that are called good works as well. And it starts, actually, with, hey, Lord, what do you do? And some people ask Jesus, hey, what's God's work? Jesus replied very simply, to believe in the one he has sent. When Jesus says believe, it just didn't mean in here. It meant in here. It meant this is a belief that evidences in changed lives. This is what God's work is. Turn to Jesus, believe in him, but not just here. It's got to evidence itself in changed lives. And that takes work and application and prayer's work. Prayer should be a work of love and it should be us asking the Father to tell us what he wants us to do. It tells us again in the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians that God has prepared works for each of us to do. That may be different for me than it is from you, but he's prepared works for us to do. We've got to, hey Lord, help us to do them. But some of those things may seem very mundane to us, very ordinary to us, but we've got to do it for God's glory. Because that's what counts. Why does it count? And again, I'm going to read a passage from the message. You will all know this passage. Uh, might be slightly different. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Faith without works is dead. You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light. Stand. Now I've put you there on a hilltop. On a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open to others. You'll prompt people to be open with God, our generous Father in heaven. That's good works. That's good works. 
We talked about love, Nigel did last week, and that's at the heart of it. That's what it all stems and flows from. That Irishman in his tin of paint, Jesus said, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay close to Jesus. And I'm talking to all of us here who are Christians and followers, because this is who Paul was talking to. This is who Jesus talked to when he said this. If a man remains in me, or a woman, and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it starts with love. Jesus summed it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your mind. The second command, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, way back in the Old Testament, a lot of people now don't like to read the Old Testament because it has some things that are quite difficult for our modern, sophisticated society to come to grips with. But in the book of Leviticus, it says, hey, you know, love your neighbor. That's what it says. It says in the Old Testament, what does God require? He requires us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Isaiah, the prophet, says, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. That's challenging. Think about what's happening over the sea in Calais. That's challenging me. Wow. It should challenge our government, our community, and each of us individually. It should, because that's what Scripture says. Proverbs says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. When you put a tick in a box at a general relaxation, do you remember what that verse in Proverbs says? Do our politicians of any party even take account of what that verse in Proverbs says? Do we as individuals take any account of it? Hebrews says, don't forget to do good. Share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Romans, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Timothy, speaking specifically about widows, he classes goods deeds as, and moms, listen to this, and dads, bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble. Further on in this letter of Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Galatians, let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That's good works, flowing out of love, the love that God has for us first and foremost. And we can't do it unless we're clothed and strengthened by God's power. And unless, and Paul goes on to talk about endurance and patience and being joyful, and we all need that, we all need that. And all of this, as Paul says, because we can give thanks to the Father, because he's brought us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom. In 
our reading didn't go on, but Paul can't help himself because he knows this is the truth. He knows this is what the gospel is. He knows this is at the heart of it all. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of his son. That kingdom starts not after we die, now. That's why we do good works, because if we are citizens of the kingdom, if we have our salvation kingdom passport, that's what he calls us to do. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We need to grip that. We need to grip it, not in our heads, in our hearts. And we need to live it out. Let me just finish with a short prayer. Father, your word challenges us, and we know we fall so far short of what you want us to be. But yet we are amazed that you love us because you see the Lord Jesus in us. Father, help us to grow more like him. Help us to want to please you, Lord. Help us to live our lives as you want them to be lived, to glorify you. But we know, Lord, we haven't the chance unless we do it all in the strength of our amazing Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.